Welcome to you all. Hope you'll thoroughly enjoy our program. Real Britannia, a very British podcast about very British movies with just a hint of professionalism. Now, it's the second of our Hammer retrospectives, so we're three-handed today. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. Morning. <laughs> just quickly talking off air. Uh, we all enjoyed that first one. We've all come back for more. We've, we've got a big, big journey ahead of us, guys, haven't we? We've just realised how many movies we've got to talk about here, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we're in the good stuff. The early hammer is pretty good. Uh, once you get the middle years, uh, yeah, <laughs> can be a struggle. Uh, but there's, a, there's the odd gem. Not often the one you think it's going to be either. That's true, Stephen. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's worth doing, even if some of the films um, vary in quality. Um, you know, the the actual podcast itself will maintain its its quality with with us three on it. Now you see, yeah. this is this is low. why we invite you along every week. <laughs> well, you could of... say that, Matt. Yeah, it could be low. It's, it's you know, but it's still consistency. <laughs> so, spoilers here. I mean, I don't think I had actually seen this one, but I bloody loved it. I, I was I was going into this one a little bit sort of like, oh, it's an early hammer, but I, I enjoyed you know the Quite Mass one from last week. So. Going into this one, thinking, oh, it's a lesser-known one. But then when you start seeing the famous faces and some of the quality that's there, it's really bloody good, actually. This is a good film that everyone kind of forgets. Yeah. But it's very, very, very solid. Well, very you've obviously solid. seen it because you've reviewed it on The Good, The Bad and The Odd Mate um, not so long ago. It was last year, possibly, wasn't it? I think. Yeah, yeah. It's all very familiar to me, uh, yeah. but I always enjoy rewatching this one. It stands up each time. Uh, it's just it's got a dynamism that kind of works. Yeah. Um, Stephen, your history with it, mate? I um, am pretty sure I've never seen it before and now regard it as a, as a lost gem. Because it, it's go. just, you know, it's got its... its Tight production, you know, cost-wise and all this kind of stuff, and and limited special effects due to the era and all this kind of stuff. But and did a bloody good job of it, and it just it, it the way it's done just keeps you keeps you with it. Absolutely uh, agree with you that you know loved it. Excellent. So without further ado, I've prepared one of those little mini documentaries that we're going to continue doing throughout this season. 
the title may suggest it's some sort of horrific algebra related movie x the unknown but it's not it's the second in our hammer series back after this The second movie in our Hammer Horror retrospective is from 1956, a movie directed by Leslie Norman, starring Dean Jagger and Edward Chapman. X the Unknown was released in September 1956, just over a year after the release of the hugely successful and popular Quatermass experiment. It would still be another eight months before the release of Quatermass 2 and the birth of the gothic-style Hammer Horrors The Curse of Frankenstein. But in an effort to repeat the success of the Quatermass experiment, the producers Michael Carreras and Anthony Hines turned to Jimmy Sangster for inspiration. He noted, I came up with the observation that all sci-fi threats and or monsters seem to come from outer space, he recalled. How about we do a story about one that comes from inner space, bubbling up from the Earth's core? That way, we wouldn't have to build any spaceship sets which were inclined to be large and expensive. After an hour or so, we talked about the bare bones of the story. Go write it, said Tony Hines. If we use it, we'll pay you. If we don't, we won't. Seeing as they were paying me anyway, as a production manager, I was in a no-lose situation. It was initially suggested that this be a sequel to the Quatermass experiment, but Nigel Neal flatly refused them to use his beloved character. American Joseph Losey was hired to direct... Losey was now resident in Britain after being labelled a possible communist sympathiser by Senator Joseph McCarthy's House of Un-American Activities Committee. Academy Award winner Dean Jagger took the lead role of Dr Adam Royston, ably supported by Edward Chapman, Leo McKern and a young Fraser Hines. There's a superb performance from Anthony Newley, possibly better known prior to this as the artful Dodger in David Lean's Oliver Twist eight years earlier, and three years before the movie, Idol on Parade changed his career direction with chart success soon to follow. Look out for Kenneth Cope of Randall and Hopkirk fame. There's our first appearance in a Hammer movie of what will be many for Hammer legend Michael Ripper. And look carefully at the chap playing the police radio operator. In a remarkable piece of foreshadowing, in an uncredited role, is none other than Shaw Taylor who'd go on to host TV's Police 5 that ran in various formats for over 50 years. A superb score from James Bernard, as we've come to expect, along with some incredible special effects, makes this entry in the Hammer canon something truly worth your time. Ladies and gentlemen, it's X, the Unknown. is in pursuit and well he might for he saw what no man has ever seen before
they've had it just like the others. It's coming in on the west side. Look, there it is on the roof. Three experts in science and security lead a band of men who try to find a way to exterminate X, the unknown terror. Only to find a tunnel of fear from which there is no escape. Dean Jagger as Professor Royston, top secret scientist. Edward Chapman, Elliot, in charge of lab operations. Leo McKern, Inspector McGill, security officer. So that's X the Unknown, released in the UK 21st of September 1956, directed by Leslie Norman. Also, I think we need to talk about Joseph Losey at some point as well, don't we, Mark, on this one? I believe he was involved in this somewhere along the line. Oh, man, you put me on the spot. I don't remember. Did okay. I've got, I've, got, oh. I've got some info. I'll go back to it in a second yeah, then. Tell, us. tell me more. Okay, well, the cast is Dean Jagger, Edward Chapman, Leo McKern, Anthony Newley, very young Fraser Hines, amongst others, Mr. Ripper. The Ripper, are we referring to him now, guys? The Ripper. Ripper. Yeah. Okay, yeah. the Ripper is in this one. So this is the first appearance? Yes. Yes, there we go. Okay, the plot. Sit back, this is quite a mouthful, guys. An army platoon witnesses the open of what seems to be a volcanic fissure. Two soldiers nearest to it later develop radiation burns and one dies from his wounds. Dr. Adam Royston, played by Dean Jagger, chief scientist at Lockmouth's Atomic Energy Establishment, investigates the now dormant chasm. That night, two small boys are exploring nearby marshland where one encounters a mysterious crackling force and he later dies from first-degree radiation burns similar to those that killed the soldier. I could go on. This is actually a rehash of the entire plot. Hammer's version of the blob, guys. It's not something from outer space. It's something from within the Earth itself. Am I right saying that? Yeah, and uh, made before the blob. And in my opinion, a better blob film than the, the original blob. Uh, so, yeah, but different, <laughs> you know, different enough to be fine. I think it's an interesting film to compare. If you compare the two, you kind of see everything about American sci-fi versus British sci-fi would precipitate uh so it's you know teenagers are important in america no one gives a crap about teenagers no, we can <laughs> we get like a four-year-old so fraser hines don't we in this he's like yes, <laughs> yes. how old is he in this because doctor who i mean he started uh, trout about 12 and, i think have been isn't he yes yeah, it's 10 years or so before he joined patrick trout and so yeah must yeah. be my yeah and i it, didn't recognize him before this is my maybe fourth or fifth watch and it's only this time it's like that's fraser hines <laughs> And then he's in the credits. It's like, oh, what it took is. me a while to to, to recognise him, and unfortunately, initially, I I thought it was an uh, an English child doing a Scottish accent really badly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it didn't sound authentically Scottish, even though I know that you know that that is his his background. Jeez, so yeah. um, I don't know why they they made him put on a false a false accent that sounded a bit fake. But they wanted him um, to yeah, when it eventually yeah. dawned on me that's who it was, um, that was a bit of a revelation. Well, this is a running thing in the two movies. Uh, we had a young... I hate to tell you this, but Fraser Hines isn't Scottish. Is he not? 
<laughs> oh, well, there you go. Then that'll be why, then. <laughs> In the old chair. <laughs> Well, it'd be well, like me trying to do a, a, a Scottish accent then, which would come out sounding, sounding Jamaican. Yeah, his, his accent's fine in in Doctor Who. So I was going to say, he must have done a good it's a job. It's toned down, though, isn't it, in Doctor Who? He, he's not doing it quite as... Oh, it says his mother's Scottish. Ah, oh, there I you go. Can. Yeah, well, he must have done a good job because he did get picked up, as you say, 10 years later for the part of um, Jamie, Jamie. Jamie McCrimmon, isn't it? From yeah, Ireland. which was super popular. He was like one of the really popular um, uh, sidekicks. One of the longest serving as well, wasn't he at the time? Yeah, Yeah. and I'm working through those ones at the minute. He's solid. Him and, um, well, she just left, um, what's her name? She played Victoria. She's uh, Deborah Watling. Deborah Watling, yeah, whose father Uh, appears in a lot of... um, a lot of the real Britannia stuff we've come across as well. He actually appears yeah. in the Abominable Snowmen as well, doesn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, he's very solid as Jamie, and he was quite popular. In fact, they weren't didn't intend to have him as a companion, but it was such a reaction in the show, the ep, the story of the Highlanders that they, right. they brought him in, yeah. and he works really well. Got a bit of a running theme, haven't we? Because we had a young um, who was it? It was the girl in the last one. Jane Asher. Young, young Jane Asher, didn't we? Almost unrecognisable in the previous uh, Quatermass movie we looked at. This is a thing as well. I mean, this isn't a Quatermass movie, but it's very along the same vein, isn't it? Along the same lines. And I read somewhere that wasn't it originally intended to be the first sequel? Yes, it was. Uh, but Nigel Neal is a very stroppy fella. This is what we um, learned from you last time. Go on, tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> he, he basically point blank refused to let anyone touch his material if he could possibly help it. Now, this might be a reaction to the fact he didn't like what they did with the Quake Mass character in the first one. Yeah, yeah. But I, everything I've read about Nigel Neal is he is proper stroppy when anyone tries to touch his work. <laughs> He's happy to do everyone else's stuff you mm-hmm. know convert it and so on but he does not like people touching his his stuff he yeah. do, he, he's not he's, he doesn't like playing with others really yeah. um and he just said point blank said no so they retooled it uh very well i might add they retooled it to be a different character uh not just different name but this is not the same character uh, as the the uh, um, the one we saw in Quater Mass Experiment in, in his nature, he's more like the Quater Mass from the TV show. Funnily enough, this is what Neil's sort of big bugbear was, wasn't it? It was the fact that Brian Don Levy was really belligerent, wasn't he? He just played him completely against how he envisioned him. Yeah, um, and the similarity here, I think, as well. It's remember how we mentioned in the Quatermass movie. There's it's almost like a detective story as well as the the science fiction element. There's a lot of that as well, isn't there? This investigation side of things in this movie. Yeah, and it feels like the first film, right? In terms of it's got a sort of slightly documentarian kind of feel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and it's got a procedural, and it's a two-hander, right? Whereas Lomax and Quatermass in the first one, in this one, it's uh, Royston and Mac. That's it. Yeah, so yeah. there's a you know a few similarities running through. Stephen, you reckon it was your first time viewing on this, mate? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it, it was. And you're right that there there are the similarities, but also the differences with yeah. uh, Quatermass Experiment. And I think that the way that it's been done, like you say, that the there's more of a you know the scientists being more interested in actually helping people and, and less um, just being a, an ass. Um, and the way in which the the police and the scientists are actually working together to to solve this, rather than at odds with each other, which was more of a of a 
a thing separately investigates. And I think that the, there's a different way of going about it, but it still has it throughout this. The, the realism almost, even despite what the actual story is, the, the, the way it's actually done with uh, the touch that we said about the last, the, the Quartermaster experiment, where there's, they're, they're making it believable by the, the people who are playing the parts and the story being such that it's it's just done in, in a way that you can accept this could believably happen. Um, it'd be very hard, you know, for in some cases not to overplay some of these parts as caricatures, but they, they don't, thankfully. Yeah. Um, it keeps it all all within the, the realms of, of possibility um, and doesn't seem far-fetched like some other sci-fi of the era which you know was completely far-fetched so it it keeps you in and and linked in and as we said last time around it ties into a lot of these things like survivors and stuff like that where you, you feel it could happen feasibly if the science fell right or as it were wrong so yeah this is first time watch for me and and it won't be the the last no i was really impressed with this i went in expecting just an average sort of like you know b movie from the 50s but um the whole thing that the special effects we will talk about in, in a second i'm sure it, it it was just the character development the way i think is a perfect companion to the first quatermass movie as well it's an ideal double bill and i tell you what talking to doctor who it reminded me guys of an early pertwee unit story Yes, you know yeah. which one? So, well, all of them, but say something like Claws of Axos, for example. You know where there's the military involvement. They found something, and a scientist is brought in to investigate, i.e., the Doctor or whatever. And it just looked like an early blueprint for a a, a John Pertwee unit story. You're right. Yeah, yeah you're right. Like the Brigadier, yeah, uh, Yates, Benton, yeah. <laughs> yeah. feel like these characters, right? Yeah, yeah. you are right. Yeah, yeah. It's just got that count. that feel about it, mm. um, which you know how much that might have inspired um, Doctor Who. Subsequently, you don't know, but yeah. um, you're right about the fact that this is a good companion piece, rather than I I went into it worrying that it, it might be just filler between this and and. Quatermass too, mm. but in actual fact, that's not at all the case. It's it, you know, although it's, it works well in its own right, it certainly is a good companion piece, like you've just said. Yeah, yeah, and I also feel it kind of presages some of the other things in TV that was to come. I mean, we've already talked about Doctor Who, but uh, I feel there's some environmental stuff in here, and and like you know, the the sort of slightly more darker side of British sci-fi. So, like you said, Survivors, mm. possibly Doom Watch. Yeah, uh, things like that, right? So I kind of can I can see how that might be an influence on British psyche and British TV uh, and and so on. Yeah, uh, all, but we went through all that last time, didn't we? Yeah, talked about it's in John the sh- sorry, all that. Yeah, it's all in the shadow, isn't it, of the Quatermass TV series? It's all just a you know an offspring of how popular that TV series was. So the cinema are recreating that. You know, it's it's just an ongoing thing. Um, but Hammer is soon to develop into a completely different beast altogether within about two movies, as we will find out as the weeks go by. Interesting, we saw the Warner Brothers logo at the beginning as well. So yeah. obviously, this uh, was picked up in a, by American distribution too. You know, so that's great. 
this is the thing, isn't it? This is why Dean Jagger's in it. This is why John Levy was in the other one, you know. It was all to do with the fact that Hammer is now getting the recognition um, overseas. It's not just a B-movie company. It's not just knocking out Dick Barton movies or, you know, the occasional war film or Swashbuckler. They're moving into a completely different realm, and the formula already, we're starting to find it two movies in. Hello, we had a bit of success with Quite a Mess. Let's develop that. And it just... It, it's incredible when we're doing this chronologically we're going to see the evolution aren't we guys of how this goes yeah joseph losey i've just found out what the connection is apparently now joseph losey famously was um part of the witch hunt wasn't he i think the mccarthy witch hunt so at this point in his career he's over here in the uk and am I right in saying he's the guy that goes on to make like the Dirt Bogart movies, like Victim and things like that, isn't he? I think that's Joseph Losey, isn't it? Yeah, he, he makes kind of quiet thriller dramas. Yeah. Uh, that kind of thing, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Well, he was hired originally as director for this. Um, and they reckon he was probably attracted because of the sort of the, the band, the bomb type vibe of this sort of movie, you know. And um, he was under the pseudonym of Joe Walton, it says here, and he supervised the casting and the set construction, but then contracted pneumonia while location scouting was being undertaken. So days before filming commenced, a last-minute replacement was found in the form of Leslie Norman. Who's Leslie Norman, guys? Uh, Barry Norman's dad. Barry Norman's dad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, famous producer, director quite some famous war movies didn't he prior to this okay yeah that's it and uh he was... i have to just tell you joseph losey did go on to make a hammer film in the in the sort of um the sort of dystopian sci-fi arena which was amazing and another hidden gem what was you it like it it's what? called the dad or we are the damned 63 oh. that was uh, again, we didn't cover that because I thought it was a bit too sci-fi. But thinking back, it's a it's a it's a gem. I it's think we need gem. to cover that one. Then we'll keep that one yes. on the list. You get one of your hammer points back that you lost earlier on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> <well done. laughs> I'm keeping track. <laughs> so, how impressed were we? Because as I said earlier, for me. I sort of sat back and watched this thinking, you know, I was going to just let it wash over me. It's going to be like an hour and 20 minutes. Going to chat with the boys on Sunday morning about it. I was like transfixed from the beginning because straight away there's like Anthony Newley and um, Kenneth Cope as well. Kenneth Cope, yes. And I'm thinking, okay, well, we've got some famous faces here. What, what, what point in Newley's career is this, guys? Because obviously, you know, he went on to become a musical and stage actor, Dr. Doolittle and stuff like that, as well as the, the recording career. Is this before his recording career? I'm going to have to look this up. Oh, it must be. They would have given him way bigger part if he was more better known. Yeah. I think it was before, and it was definitely before um, Idol on Parade, which yes, you know, was, that was his, a later, big thing as, as a tying together movie career and and his recording career so um i'm pretty sure it was before i think he was actually you know a recording artist but he wasn't he hadn't he hadn't made his name yeah because as mark says they would have they would have given him higher billing wouldn't they yeah i mean he's just above an extra at this point he's got a couple of lines right for the whole film so uh but he's very strike they cast well 
I think all the extras, all, not extras, all the bit players are pretty good in this. Uh, even the ones we don't know, you know, didn't become famous. They're all pretty good. Yeah, we, we will find out when we go to the Hall of Fame a little later just exactly who was involved in this. But Stephen, you must have relished the idea of Edward Chapman being in there. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's, you know, there's any number of films that um, obviously I've seen him in with relation to uh, normal wisdom but it's only you know over the past probably the past 10-15 years I've started really appreciating what a career he had outside of normal wisdom films um, and you know that this is an example of, of somewhere where he, he appears without it being a massive thing but he, you know he appears and just does a, a, a fairly decent job um on screen and he can be depended upon to 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 do what you need to do um so yeah it was lovely to see him and and not be um thinking of him as mr grimsdale yeah i'll tell you what i've recently seen him in and it really surprised me um it probably won't surprise you you guys at how sad this is i've just recently rewatched the first season of the aneeding line now mark you would definitely remember that right <laughs> i just remember the song and it being really boring that actually was, yeah, it was but like... i only watched it as a kid so who <laughs> yeah. knows my right, mum's favorite tv she was she, my mum never watched a great deal of tv but the aneeding line was the only thing she'd ever watch on a sunday uh, a mash funny enough that was the only two things my mum had ever watched um and the first season, uh, James and Needing's biggest like shipping rival is Edward Chapman. And this is like 1971, 72, the first season. So he's still acting. I mean, he, could, he, he must have he's been old, though, in right? the 70s. Yeah, but he's still just proving that he wasn't Mr. Grimsdale. That guy was a great actor, and he proves it in this as well. Um, special effects. Um, good to okay. Not There's no real honkers here Ooh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there's a few honkers in the greater mass films but not <laughs> in this not in this I think the blob effect actually sometimes the blob effects were excellent I have to say sometimes. I think they're better than Steve McQueen's the blob effect yeah, in yeah. I think it benefits from being in black and white so it's a little easier yeah. uh, but it definitely feels like a better blob effect to me than the Steve McQueen film in a lot of the scenes I'll tell you what impressed me uh, and I was very surprised to see this in a movie from 1956, even though it has got an X certificate, The Melting Head. Yeah, it was grim! Melting oh, yeah, fingers yeah. and melting face and yeah. right on camera. Right? Now, before that, you see the hand swelling up like the thumb. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously this is like 30 years before American Werewolf in London where they do it a little bit better, you know. But I'm thinking, oh, my God, that sort of disturbed me a little bit. And then it cuts away. And... I looked this up. I found out exactly how they did this, the melting head, you know, because this is like, I think this outmelts, um, oh, what's his face? Indiana in Ra- Jones? Yeah, Indiana. in Raiders of the Lost Ark, right, where we get the famous <laughs> melting head sequence at the end. Basically, makeup supervisor Phil Leakey, what he did, he took a moulding of Neil Hallett's head, right, cast it in two halves of paraffin wax, placed it over a plaster skull with heating elements inside it. Wow. Basically, yeah, he, he just made this false head and just heated it up. And it was the fact that you see the skull underneath, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this is 1956. This is great. Yeah. And uh, I like the hand effect, too. That was like a, a 
I think called a bladder effect. So yes, kind of swelling up on camera. It was kind of with latex rubber, kind of yeah. amazing. Yeah, but the melting head was quite impactful. Yeah, and and I wasn't expecting it because I was saying because of the era, I was just expecting. You know, I knew there was going to be some blob. I knew it wasn't going to be a man in a rubber suit down in that chasm. You know, I knew that much. Um, but it was just great. The whole thing really impressed me. And if this is the standard of the lesser known or the the less talked about movies that we're going to come across or the forgotten ones, we're in for a real treat, guys, when we get to the actual classics. I'm convinced of this. Yeah, I will also say a great screenplay. First Hammer screenplay for Jimmy Sangster. Great screenplay. And he writes quite a lot of the really good Hammers. There's only one that I personally think is a bit of a stinker that he wrote. But every other one, you know, he wrote the first Dracula, the, couple, yep. the first two Frankensteins, uh, and numerous others that are amazing. Bride of, Bride of Dracula is amazing yes. as a screenplay. Um, and I think the one where he was involved, he was more a rewriter than actually come up with a plot, because the plot's the problem, not not necessarily the dialogue and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, but great screenplay, right? Absolutely. Stephen, any other thoughts? Because we're going to go into the Hall of Fame very soon. But just, just sort of general impressions or any standout moments for you? Well, it's as I say, the, I think the way that the characterisation works along with the plot just is what carries this because it could have been a stinker in itself. But the plot keeps you keeps you engaged, and and it's it, although there are dramatic parts of it, it doesn't fluctuate wildly with regards to dull moments and exciting moments. It keeps it keeps having interesting bits all the way through yeah. to keep you in, involved and the way the characters are so believable and so people that you know you would be able to uh, understand you know bumping into um it, it keeps keeps you engaged with it all the way through rather than it being something that you you sort of shrugging off as being um unrelatable yeah. so that i think it makes a, a great impression with it and it's well shot as well, I would I would say as well because you know the, the we don't normally get a lot into cinematography and all these kind of things and this era of of particularly sci-fi B movie almost sort of thing you'd expect it to be quite chunky in that respect but I think in this they make do make quite good use of of the shadows for dramatic effects yes. and yeah. and particularly out in the um, out in the wilderness where, you know, the, the soldiers are stood around on their own and what's going on in the dark around them and things like that. I think, mm-hmm. it, the, the you know, all the elements have come together really well on this. Part so, of the reason... Absolutely. Part of the reason it was set on, like, an Earth-based sort of, like, threat rather than something from outer space was budgetary reasons, I read somewhere, because they said to make a spaceship cost a lot of money, so we want to sort of, you know, have it fully grounded on Earth. And again, thinking back, how many Doctor Whos were set in a quarry, similar to the opening to this? <laughs> you know, it's, it's all there. It's all making sense. Uh, our reaction to the movie is pretty similar to the press. Listen to this. Variety wrote, the film was a highly imaginative and fanciful melodrama. There's little let up in the action and the suspense angles are kept constantly to the forefront. Absolutely. Um, Telegraph. Good grisly fun and a welcome change from interplanetary yarns, said film and filmmaking. So I think it sort of took everybody by surprise. And Hammer is sort of sitting up and begging to be taken notice of at this point now, you know, and they are going the right way about it. They've captured, you know, the cinema going public's 
imagination here and it's working really well we spoke a lot about the actors the cast that are in this we haven't really mentioned leo mccurn but i'm sure he's going to come up at some point let's get your keys steve and we'll go down to the hall of fame we're not quite ready for the what are we going to call it the crypt of fame the crypt of fame the crypt of fame for just strictly for the hammer movies let's take a wander down the garden path mike we'll have a look at this week's hall of fame One of my favourite parts of any Real Britannia podcast is Stephen's unlocking of the doors to the Village Hall of Fame where we celebrate any actor, actress or anybody that we deem worthy. Anybody that has appeared more than three times on this particular podcast gets inducted. Stephen, over to you, my friend. Well, yeah, normally you're trying to work out whether I've made up any of the names as well. Because <laughs> um, sometimes some of the names, because actors sometimes need to change their name for, for reasons um, of conflict with somebody who already is around by that name. And you, you get do, you do get some, some strange connotations of their original name sometimes that sounds unreal. Yeah. Um, but yes, with regards to the, the overall Real Britannia um, past history, um, we do have a number of people making their second appearances um, and, and I will go through the list of, of what films they were in previously yeah. because there's 14 of them making oh. their second appearances okay. <laughs> on this film. Wow. Um, but they are, as, as a quick run through, Jane Eyre, Jameson Clark, Kenneth Cope, oh, uh, yep. Archie Duncan, Neil Hallett, Fraser Hines, uh, Edward Judd, Norman McCowan, Ian McNaughton, Leo McKern. Oh, there you go, yeah. Um, uh, Leslie Norman, the director, that's his, his second mm-hmm. one for us. Um, Edwin Richfield, John Sterling and Neil Wilson. As I say, people can, if they're really interested, they can see what they were in previously, but um, it would take forever to go yeah, through um, 14 people's previous catalogue. Mm. However, we do have four people making their third appearance and therefore getting themselves into the Hall of Fame. Cool. James Bernard who um, obviously is the, the man behind the music. Right, hang um, on then. We know, obviously, he composed the score for this and the previous Hammer, you know, the Quatermass yes. movie. What was the third? Well, his previous credit wasn't for music. It was for, for, for writing, um, <laughs> and that was uh, Seven Days to Noon. Bloody hell. There you go. See, Mark's as surprised as I am at that one. So the man was a man of many talents, by the sound. Yeah, he, he only wrote one film, and that was Seven Destiny. Which is a cracker of a film. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, he had a masterpiece in him, and he, he, he got it out there, and um, and so it realised in such a, a great way. So well done to him. Some people um, are just too gifted, aren't they? There we go. Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes you just hate them for yeah. it as well. Yeah. The second person making their third appearance um, is Robert Bruce, who... Has taken a break from um, uh, fighting for the Scottish Crown. I was, was going to say um, talking to spiders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, previously had managed to fit into his life being in Gideon's Day and um, Private's Progress. Okay. Um, 
he played uh, Dr. Kelly, ah. uh, one of the, the, the other scientist guys. Mm-hmm. Edward Chapman, hey. as we previously mentioned, uh, makes his third appearance. Strangely enough, he's managed to get into the Hall of Fame without yet appearing in a normal wisdom <laughs> film. See, we told you he was versatile. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And we haven't even done Proud Valley yet. Um, <laughs> so he was in The Man Who Haunted Himself and It Always Rains on a Sunday. Oh, of course he was. Yes. Yeah. There you go. And lovely. the final person out the four who is making their third appearance and therefore getting into the Hall of Fame is a guy called Michael Ripper. He's got in. The Ripper has got in <laughs> already. Because um, he was previously in Yield to the Night and um, A Prize to Arms. Do you know what? In this particular movie, that's just reminded me. Wasn't he like Bernard Lee in this? Yes. Did you get that vibe? I did. Yeah. Yes, he was. Um, he was really good, actually, mm. as the sort of slightly stroppy um, um, boss. I can see Bernard Lee doing that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the Ripper's in. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I'm thinking of Henry Chapman. Sorry, I got completely confused. <laughs> yeah, he makes a good, uh, he makes a good uh, sergeant, doesn't yeah. he? He's, 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 he, he does, yeah. and, and, you know, you can see why he, um, as a character actor, um, why they kept him in Hammer, really. I mean, yeah. I think he obviously got his foot in the door at this point and the desire to just keep him oh, coming back to more. Yeah, um, so, um, and, I and mean, he is, he is the, pro, you know, the the foremost <laughs> big cool. actor. I mean, there's another guy. I can't remember his name, but he's like a bigger guy. He often plays the like the blustery landlord. He's in a fair few. I know the um, one you mean. Yes. Yeah. 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 Michael Ripper is is the business. Occasionally, he does dodgy accents. Yeah. Has to be said, the guy you're on about people. was the prison officer in Two Way Stretch as well with Peter yes, Sellers. Yes, I think he was. And I can't yeah. remember his name, but anyway. Yes, so. yes. Um, so that's the people actually finally getting into the um, Hall of Fame. Um, we do have some people who are already in there who are, uh, are making their um, repeat appearances. Yeah. Um, fourth appearance for John Harvey, mm-hmm. um, who was previously in Private's Progress, uh, Heavens Above and Dunkirk. He yep. was one of the um, higher military officers, uh, major of some description, I think. There's two people making their fifth appearances. Yeah. Arthur Howell. When I looked into what he was in this film, I believe he was just driving a Jeep. <laughs> uh, amongst his, his previous films were Whistle Down the Wind and One Good t- Turn. for. Um, but we also have fifth appearance from um, Anthony Segar, who was in um, Carry On Sergeant, Carry On Nurse, Carry On Constable and Dad's Army. So I think he um, fulfilled oh. a particular niche uh, with what he did wow. um, there. Okay, um, that name rings a bell, yeah. Yeah, we, we've had him before. He's, he's come up in the list at, at least. Yeah. Um, whether he's, he's recognisable face-wise and appearance-wise, um, I'm not 100% sure. But somebody who isn't necessarily... Uh, uh, a recognisable face, but um, certainly should be a recognisable name, I would say, from this podcast, is a guy called uh, Patrick Halpin, who is making his 10th appearance. Wow. Blimey. Um, Night to Remember, Admiral Crichton, Ten Rillington Place, Doctor in the House, The Rebel, One Good Turn, Gideon's Day, The Man Who Never Was, and Goldfinger. Um, that is a... You, you know, a, 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 in a horse race, this is like a 
a, a rank outsider that is slowly creeping up to like third position or something with 10 appearances here isn't he yes yeah yeah he's 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 one of the top five males with regards to appearances um on this podcast wow other than other than our good selves <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I can't i can't find a picture of him no i'm so, looking for him no, now. <laughs> this, is the, this is always the case it took me and scott forever uh, to find pictures of, of some of them yes um it was uh amazing really trying to i mean victor harrington um, you, you know, you've got to pick him up with a, of, uh, a background photo, really blurred. Um, we although we do recognise him now, yeah. but at the time, who was this man? Yeah, is it Patrick Halpern or Patrick Halpin? Uh, Halpin. Halpin. And what? Sorry to put you on the spot here, mate. But what what role was he in this? Does it say? He was a hospital porter. Oh, I barely remember a hospital. I remember the radiographer yeah. and uh, the nurse. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's a name we've got to keep an eye on then because <laughs> he is definitely creeping up the ranks, as you say. Um, again, it just proves that the randomness of this whole experiment, uh, not the quite a mass experiment, it's the, 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 the Stephen the experiment. The real Tanya yeah. experiment, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, to be honest though, if we carry on with this, James Bernard and the Ripper are gonna be at the top. Well that's yeah. absolutely as far as, the, yeah. as far as the crypto firm, they're they're gonna be uh, yeah. the top boys out there. Yeah. Um and deservedly so. Okay. So we've got no one in the crypt because we've only done two movies. No, because we've only done two two films. Yeah. But uh, I, as you said, um, James Bernard uh, will He'll be the first. Will, will be in there in the next run. I'm pretty sure because I think he did virtually every Hammer um, <laughs> horror at least uh, um, from this point onwards. He did. Um, he did a lot of them. Of them. Yeah. Um, yeah. He didn't do a lot before Quatermass, but from that point onwards, he, he he did virtually all of them. So um, so yeah, and, and the Ripper. Obviously, he'll be um, not just in his own right as far as um, oh. other films, but as far as the Hammer films, he'll be pretty swift in there, I would imagine. He'll be up there yeah. with Cushing and Lee, won't he? All these guys, you know, because that was who we automatically assumed was going to be kings of the crypto well, fame. Was I have it? a feeling Michael Ripper might actually make it into the crypto fame before uh, Cushing or Lee. Exactly. This is what I think, you know. <laughs> yeah. He'd be sat I'd there just... waiting for them saying, oh, thanks for joining me, chaps. <laughs> So have we got any, any more than 10 yeah. appearances this week? No, 10, 10 is, is your current limit. Um, mm-hmm. To be fair, there's only a few people that have exceeded 10 um, as far as men in the Hall of Fame. And anyway, we've got um, Ian Wilson on 11. There's a couple of other people on, on 12. Um, and obviously, as far as women, we've got um, the Duchess. those that exceed that. But um, Guy Standeven and, and Victor Harrington are the only uh, ones. I think Sil Chamberlain as well if I remember correctly, was uh, up there. He's been quiet um, lately, Cyril Chamberlain. He has been quiet recently, uh, yeah. Um, him and Elvis have both been quiet recently, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the there's, there's, I think, four of them on 12, and Cyril Chamberlain, along with Victor Harrington and, and Fred Wood, are, are there at the 12s, but biting at their heels is... Um, Patrick Halpin. Wow. Um, I'm going to uh, look for uh, him now. I'm, I'm going to go and find a photo after we finish chatting today, guys. I need to know who this man is. Well, this is it. The unknowns. So, not the ex the unknowns, no. but the, the actors unknown. Actors um, unknown, yeah. So, yes, yeah, so that, that, you know, deservedly so a lot of these people, and it's very nice to have some first appearances from certain individuals as well. You know, we, we've 
and like you say, um, Anthony Newley, he had some films that we'll be covering later on in, at some point, I'm sure, Idol on Parade particularly we'll probably get to at some point yep. along with what was the one where he, he was the the, the the fellow who owes money to the to some gangsters in the east end oh not sammy lee is it that was that the tv series i can't remember it's it's, it's a sammy something over yeah something so, sammy um, lee, isn't it? I think, yeah. yeah yeah so that that we'll probably cover as well because that's a, a good film so you know he had enough to to warrant getting in that in the hall of fame at some point but not yet He's going to have to just carry on standing around in the mud until then. (laughs) Okay, that is fantastic as always. Thank you, mate, for all the effort you put in with that. That's amazing. So I have a team team of people over in the Philippines who just do all the work for me. (laughs) I just want to know who that guy is, Halpin. Wow. It's so weird. He was a hospital porter. Yeah, right. We, yeah, will, but we will find him. Look like? We will <laughs> find this him. This is what gets you, Mark. This is what gets us. That you know, there's needs that you just get intrigued and you think, but who is he? Then then you start looking and then you look at what other films he's been in that we haven't covered on this, but you still think, blimey, he was in that and he was in that. And well, yeah. you think about it. This is episode 106, so like nearly 10 percent, one in ten of the movies we've covered, he's been in. Well, he was wow. in 90, he was in 94 films. He stopped. His final film was Ten Billington Place, um, and you know before he, he unfortunately um, passed on. Yeah. But yeah, Doctor in the House, one one good turn. I mean, he was in Doctor at Sea as well when that eventually gets done. Yeah. The 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 Long Arm, which is a, a favourite of mine. Yes. Which, you know, and Town on Trial. Um, you know, he's vicious circle. He's got some more normal wisdoms in there. He's going to be um, back. Yeah, it's back. you know I was Monty's double. Uh, oh. Idol on parade. Strangely enough, he was in Idol on parade. So there's there's you know you look through what he was in, um, and it's just a, a potted history of British cinema. More carry-ons and, and stuff. Cooks Anonymous, various films that will you know we'll probably get round to at some point, and he'll keep um, increasing his. Um, appearances on on here, but um, for now, um, he's he's only got ten. Only ten. <laughs> okay, time for another new feature. Let's go straight into this before we wrap this up, guys. It's Bob's Full House of Horror. our version of Hammer Bingo. Bob's Full House of Horror. We had one reaction from the one listener. <laughs> um, <laughs> basically, they said it was a lot of are fun. Are feeling better now? No, they oh. said it was a lot of fun. Please keep doing it. So we are determined to stick with this until it either becomes unmanageable or incomprehensible or just a load of old rubbish because that's what it started out to be just as a bit of fun and you know what 
I haven't even looked at my bingo card yet, guys. So I'm just finding my card now. What we've done, we've shuffled the cards. Yeah. For those that didn't catch the last episode, basically we've got some wonderful bingo cards that Stephen has created for us, featuring some of the more common tropes from the Hammer Horror series. And we've given them a shuffle. And this time round, Mark, you've got card number one, I've got card two, and Stephen has got card number three. Yes. Shall I read out mine and we'll decide and yes, take it out? We're going to do it. Yeah. All right. So my first one is Pitchhawk Villager. Now, there's definitely none of those. <laughs> no. But I've also got Michael Ripper, so I've got a one there. Okay. He's uh, the Ripper's in. Uh, my third one is Mad Scientist. Nah. He's oh, <laughs> no. not that, is he? He's not mad, no. no. He's quite angry at points, but he's not, he's not mad. Yeah. Um, I've got Spooky Glow. Mm, Definitely That was spooky. a bit of a glow. I would yeah, say, yeah. I would yeah, say. Yeah. yep, that's two, yeah. Uh, blood Red Eyes, no. Melting Faces, yeah, but not Blood Red Eyes. Yeah. Uh, good Brunette, Good Blonde, Bad Brunette. Uh, it depends if you mean the, <laughs> the nurse and the radiographer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were both being Come bad. Come on, how, how flexible are these interpretations? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> well, uh, well in that... my experience, blondes are more flexible than brunettes. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, okay, right, cancelled now. Right, that's yeah, it. That's yeah. it. Podcast <laughs> over. Um, <laughs> himbo. Uh, no. I would say no at this one. Would you no, I no. couldn't. There wasn't really one. And Barbara Shelley, unfortunately not. No, so... Two for two, you, mate. Two. Two. Yeah. Okie doke. Stephen, can you do yours, mate? Because I've just lost my bingo card as I went to open it. I'm have to get you guys to read it okay. out to me. I'll, Stephen, I'll read yours out for you. Cards, so, um, so, um, is this your one? So yeah. Plunge matches mine. Uh, plunging cleavage. Unfortunately not. Not yet. No. Uh, deformed assistant. Again, unfortunately not. No. Um, Michael Ripper. Yes. yes. <laughs> that's not because it's on the big card just generally yeah. yes whenever you see michael ripper yeah. so uh thunder and lightning uh, yeah well there was like the light the electric streaks when it hit the power lines is that lightning is, is that lightning i'm not 100 uh, percent sure that's, that's lightning so <laughs> i might be trying to push it and, and claim points i don't deserve if okay. i do that which, you know I, th- I think this um, is more sort of like the thunder and lightning of the, the castle isn't it or yeah yeah or frankenstein yeah. Or whatever. so okay. uh, spooky glow which we said yeah for mark that was admissible good blonde bad brunette no unfortunately not that's uh, that's not got me anything uh mystery monster uh, oh, yeah definitely so i definitely get that one and um jim's bernard score <gasps> Wow, um, he's got four. No, this so. is a fix. I know he designed the cards, but come on. But you, you suggested as as which ones we would have this time round to switch around. So, um, fair enough. Yeah, so we'll you see how you do, shall we, Scott? Yeah, okay. so. yeah. no, because I haven't read them. That's why I said I went in oh. blind. And also, we will yeah. decide the cards this time now before we watch the movie as well. That's the next thing. Okay, that's the thing that we'll do next time round, and then we can look at the cards as we're watching. Yeah, yeah. tick them off. <laughs> Right, for you, Scott, yes, then. Sir. Spooky Coachman. Sadly, uh, no. not even not even a spook, spooky no, Jeep tax, driver. No, a taxi um, driver or nothing, no. no. Uh, Barbara Shelley, sadly uh, not. Um, Mystery Monster. Yes, we've got the yes, one, you we? get one there. Um, sadly, no bats on a string, though. Oh, 
they, they missed a trick there, I feel. Yeah, there was, going if, down there's with any criti- chasm, yeah. If there's any criticism of this film, it is that there was no bats <laughs> on strings. Uh, <laughs> get them to go reshoot it. James Bernard Scar, though. Thank you very much, that's a point. Yeah. You'll take that one. Um, no himbos. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there was um, no inventive crucifixes. No uh, need in, in this. this movie, I felt. No, no. no, no. <laughs> And the final one in your card was Transform Terror. Oh, yes. No, well, no. So, yeah, well, it is changing. Yeah. It well, he change. does change, like we said, with, you know, with the, the way his hand oh, inflates okay. and, and all that kind of stuff. There's that, isn't there? And I'll then the, the, the other things that happen. So, um, three. So that's three. Yes. So, I've got the scores here, guys. At the moment, I've got five in total. Mark has five. Stephen is streaking ahead with seven after only two weeks. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. I'm going to really live this up because it won't last long. I well, generally uh, don't end up winning for long. So there you go. I am currently the winner. It's when, when I go put petrol in my car, I always park at pump one just so I can say I am number one when I go in the <laughs> petrol station. There you go. Well, uh, good game. Good guy, good guy. Yeah, I, ju- I just well. want to say, I've just watched Dracula Prince of Darkness, and I want, when we ever get to that, yeah. I want the card that Steve's got right now, please. <laughs> We will, I think we'll get the random generator going or something, I think, for this. Yeah, we, we might got, have more uh, cards my, by um, then as well. For my Dungeons and Dragon days, I'm there sure I've go. still got a, a three-sided dice. That's so. it. And uh, we might even have more cards at that point as well, because we've had some other suggestions, haven't we, to, to sort of make up some extra cards. Yeah, that'd be useful, yeah. By my reckoning then, Stephen, you take card number one next time. Mark goes to two and I go to three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, and then we'll go. So we've all had a card each then for the first three weeks. Yeah, and then uh, see what we can do about other cards or um, yeah, I'm mixing it up even more. But yes, I so didn't there you actually go. put them guys on the Facebook group. I didn't actually get them on the Facebook or Twitter. But rest assured, I'll make sure they're up this time round. So if you do want to play at home, firstly, why? But secondly, <laughs> but secondly I don't, I, I, we're having a bit of fun with this. Actually, it's just just an extra bit of uh, an extra element to the Hammer Horrors. Final thoughts, chaps. Come on, what what do we think? Because I'm going to stick my neck on the line and say this was absolutely bloody brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Uh, okay, first of all, yeah. yeah, I thought that the whole thing really worked well, considering it's not got some of the major what we know to become the the hammer player you know terence fish is not there the director isn't um like leslie norman isn't particularly a hammer director uh james bernard is probably the only one we'd like say and michael ripper of course Uh, as well isn't it yeah it's gonna be elements are creeping in now aren't they for for what what we're gonna get yeah, um, uh, but I have to say, great acting all round. We haven't really talked about, for example, Dean Jagger. Fantastic, yeah. absolutely fantastic is this character. Really does feel like the American version of what Nigel Neal would have thought. Uh, you know, N- Nigel Neal's original Great Mass, actually, yeah. in many ways. Uh, the standouts for me were, I like the fact that all of the drama stuff, the people stuff, was actually more exciting than the action stuff. It was very gripping. It was very gripping and well written. Uh, uh, but Dean Jagger, Liam McCurm was fantastic too. Everyone except possibly the um, the guy that played Ed, Ed Edward Chapman's son, 
I thought he was <laughs> yeah. a bit of a non-character, really. Yeah. He, he didn't really stand out. Even the bit players, you know, Anthony Newley would stand out. Newley and Cope together, great double act. Yes. Mm. Great yes, double, and I like yeah. the uh, Scottish guy that was just wanting to go to the canteen. He, he made me <laughs> laugh a lot. He was pretty good. Um, I have to say, the standout scene for me was where um, um, Royston gets told off by the parent of the dead boy. You know, you're a scientist. You don't care about but You're not a real doctor, he says at one point. Yeah. You don't help people. And Royston just takes it because he has humanity and he knows that this man... And there's some truth in it, perhaps. Though Royston is definitely not responsible for what yeah. you know what happened. He, he's always there, he's trying to help. But I, I like it shows Royston, uh, Royston's humanity, and it's really Dean Jagger is a great character actor. You'll know his face from all sorts of you know movies and uh, old TV shows. Oh, we, but he's a yeah. really good presence here. He so won, I really like this film. Sorry, mate. He won an Oscar. Um, it was Twelve O'clock High, which I think was the Gregory Peck movie. He got Best Supporting Actor, but that was five six years prior to this uh, okay so yeah um, he's, he's you know well respected you know he's, he has been acknowledged for his efforts previously mate so yeah definitely definitely a great i really guy. like this and also like the fact it, we talked about it, this could have been a quite mess a rocket scientist would not have fitted in this a, a nuclear scientist does and yeah. so and that kind of worked to the film's favor too uh yeah um dean jagger was great but so almost everyone else was too it was really well put together film, so yeah, really liked it. Excellent, Stephen. Your final sort of like input, mate, on this. Yeah, I agree with everything that that Matt's just said. Um, that you know the the characterisation was um, one of the key points in this. Um, it really does come across as what sells it that you've got that realism, as I said before, where you can believe it. Um, you can get engaged with seeing that the, the the characters for who they are rather than just playing stock characters that are there for for a single purpose or to deliver a single line um and there's a lot with what it is on a restricted budget obviously um and certainly shows why you know hammer at this stage was on the up um with regards to its reputation that it managed to you know push this out and get it you know get it even into the american stream and obviously yes having dean jagger there is part of that but it's just done really well and i think you know credit to all those that were involved in it although hardly any of them will be around to hear this this is a film that did surprise me it did uh, i didn't expect it to be anything more than a, a b-movie filler really and um, it's absolutely not that. It's a good standalone film, but also plays well within the Quatermass sort of series. You know, I'd recommend people, um, you know, make an effort to see it because it, it, it's not only formative with regards to what other things come after film-wise within Hammer and elsewhere with, you know, but also within things like we've said, Doctor Who, you know, survivors, whatever, there's that element that, of what it actually led to and influenced, but it's just worth watching for its own right. And it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's, it's a, a, a brief film, um, less than an hour and a half, yeah. um, but it feels like there's more than an hour and a half's worth in it. Absolutely, yeah. It it, it did fly by because it, it was action-packed and, and just engaging throughout. Uh, yeah, an interesting sort of slightly ambiguous ending too, right? Mm, you know, that shouldn't have happened, but it ends. Much. But so yeah. what? Ooh. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't know. Was there was that leaving it open for a sequel? Could it, could they have made a sequel to this? I don't know. I doubt it. But for me, as as you pointed out, Mark, it's it's just that element of James Bernard, Jimmy Sangster, Michael Ripper. It's just the prospect of what great stuff we've got to come. And bearing in mind that this is an early example of these guys being together, it's only going to get better for us as, as this whole Hammer series progresses. Before we go into what we're watching next time, the next in the Hammer series, I'm just going to finish with a quote, and Mark will laugh at this, I'm sure you will. Um, basically, when this was originally considered to be a legitimate sequel to the Quatermass experiment, Nigel Neal was approached by Hammer, okay, and this was a quote that he gave a few years later. You're probably aware of this, Mark. He said, I was actually approached by them and asked if they could use the character of Professor Quatermass, remembered Nigel Neal. He said, no, you can't. It's mine. They were funny people. (laughs) (laughs) Back after this. (laughs) Hey, Spider, there's already a great glow out here. What is it, Aggies? I'm not sure. You'd better go and have a look. Yeah. Why me? Frightened? Yeah. And I don't mind admitting it either. You know these parts better than me. You go and have a look. I don't know these parts. You're a Scot, ain't you? Aye, but we're on 300 miles from here. Doesn't matter now, anyhow. It's gone away. Well, I suppose I'd better go and have a look. Keep my tea warm, Spider. Okay. Here, Agis. Agis, I've been thinking. Why don't you and me go to Glasgow on our next 48? You can show me the castle. <laughs> hey, Spider, come here quick. Look. Ah! Agis. Agis. What's the matter, Agis? Okay, guys, what we're watching next time in regard to the Hammer series, which will be in five episodes' time, and it will be the three of us. This is going to be a regular thing, guys, isn't it? All, all three of us together yes, for this? Yes. yes. Absolutely. Now, we've checked release dates, and we're going to slightly tweak the running order here because, strictly speaking, Curse of Frankenstein was released 2nd of May, 1957, but Quatermass 2 was released about three weeks later, the 24th. So we're going to bring Quatermass 2 forward, right, to the third episode in the season, because as Mark just pointed out off-air, it's a nice little trilogy we're sort of covering here. 
uh, before the gothic stuff kicks in, guys. Are we happy to do that, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so quite a mess too. I mean, Mark, you're the expert. What have we got to look forward to with this one? Uh, another extremely powerful uh, piece of Hammer history here. Uh, it's not as groundbreaking as the first one because... As I said in the earlier podcast, Quite a Message Hammer basically set up Hammer to have the confidence and the ability to negotiate for the rights for things like uh, Dracula and Frankenstein from Universal. Uh, however, in and of itself, I think it may be more influential. Quite a Message Two, I'm talking about, yeah. may be more influential. Uh, certainly in the Doctor Who sphere, uh, but in other spheres too. Uh, what happens in Quite a Message Two, we see reprised throughout all of sci-fi tv and movie history actually from that point on so great thing and also interestingly the first sequel to be have a two in the title um of course movie. Um, unless you count movies which were actually very long and they chopped into two parts right. um, it's always pointing out no ivan the terrible there was an ivan the terrible part two but that was one movie cut into two for distribution <laughs> right, okay. not the same thing so uh, an interesting little uh, aside there in movie history as well fantastic okay i'm looking forward to this one Stephen. I, th- I think i've seen this have you seen this one I think I've seen this one, yeah. Pretty sure, um, yeah. I couldn't say that about X the Unknown, but this one I'm, I'm more sure I have. Do you know, the, the reason I think I have seen this is nothing to do with Brian Le- Don Levy, Nigel Neal, quite much. I think I've seen it because Sid James is in it. I was going to say <laughs> I have seen it, but I think because of Marion Stone's in it. <laughs> Marion um, Stone's in it as well. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is getting better and better by the week, guys. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to leave it there for the moment, chaps. I'm going to see you all in five episodes' time. Thanks, as always, for continuing on this great journey through the Hammer Horrors. See you all very soon, guys. Take care. Take care. Positive shower. Boy, Good luck. Thank you. Hand up, sir.
I'm sick of beans. <laughs>